This is Donald Parham. You're listening to Chargers Unleashed, part of the LA Football Network. Stay diggy. And this is Chris the second, Chargers outside linebacker. And make sure you check out Chargers Unleashed. Shout out to Chargers Unleashed, Sebastian Joseph. They know the vibes. We outside. Are you checking in with Mike Williams from the LA Chargers, and you're tuning in to Chargers Unleashed. You're listening to the Chargers Unleashed podcast with your host, Dan Wolkenstein and Jake Hefner. Welcome to another edition of Chargers Unleashed. Jake Efner and Dale Wolkenstein here with you from the LA Football Network. Today's show, of course, is being brought to you by Bet Online, Charger Bolt Family, and Rock Solid Sports Memorabilia. If this is your first time tuning into the show, make sure to hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Dan Wolkenstein, we're in the thick. The two C's. Thick. <laughs> Of the offseason for the Los Angeles Chargers. Upcoming tonight for everybody that is paying very close attention to what is going to be taking place over the next couple of months as it relates to the NFL draft. Hopefully you're tuning into the East-West Shrine game. Hopefully you're tuning into the Reese's Senior Bowl this week. A lot of good names that you need to keep an eye on as we get closer to the NFL draft, specifically for the Chargers. <laughs> a lot of good names that we're going to be talking about possibly as soon as next week. I can't wait. Dan's really excited about one name in particular, but we're going to hold you in suspense to that because what Dan and I wanted to do, as we know, the Chargers 2022 season came to an unfortunate close with their loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But we wanted to basically kind of give a final stamp and a final letter grade going down from position by position. And whether or not we need to talk about why these grades were given obviously what needs to improve going into next year, but a lot of that kind of needs to cover. So we wanted to go through this position by position, give our own personal letter grades. Dan and I do not have, I think with the exception of what Dan, one or two positions have the same letter grade for any of these. So I, this will I be legitimately think we have different, if we're going by plus minus, we have different letter grades, I believe on all of them. <laughs> there we go. So, Depending on what side you run with here, the optimist or the pessimist, or maybe you run somewhere in the middle, you know, there's always room for a little bit of gray every now and again. Um, this should be an interesting conversation. So as we go through, uh, do us a favor. If you are listening, watching on YouTube, go ahead and leave us a comment and kind of give us your takes, give us your grades, let us know what you think about the position group so far this season. I'm sure there are going to be some hot takes thrown here that I or Jake or both of us or you, listeners, viewers, do not agree with. Uh, Jake, give, first it, give us your letter grades in the comments. Please. We'd love to see that. Please. Uh, so, Jake, um, this is a fun one. Over or under, how many grades less than a C will we have collectively for this team position groups? So that means C minus or below? Four. Oh, it's going to be close. Okay. All right. Let's talk about our friends over at Bet Online real quick about these odds before we get into this. Yes. Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs uh, this 
any, but not necessarily this season, but any season that you guys are looking for. Come on, let's be honest. Uh, and as your continued source for all sports waging information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest ways to, fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. So head on over to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your fifty percent welcome bonus with your first deposit, and make sure to use that promo code Believe. That's B L E A V to receive your rewards. Bet Online where the game starts. So, Jake, let's just start this one off with arguably, and it's even arguably, uh, factually the most important position on this Chargers team. We'll start with the Chargers quarterback position. Um, (laughs) So, Jake, led by a one, Justin Herbert. We we know the storyline. You know, he got injured. We know the coaching issues we saw with play calling. Some of the decisions, lack of mobility. We saw the injuries. Again, we are focusing this on player-specific, quarterback-specific, letter grades for the 2022 Los Angeles Chargers quarterback, basically, Justin Herbert. What say you? So I have some context for this because there is more reasons that are not necessarily directly contributing to Justin Herbert's performance on why I'm giving this letter grade. It has to deal with some outside factors as well. But I'm giving him a B minus, and I'll explain why. It's really amazing to look at what he did, considering the fact that he still threw for just over 4,700 yards, 25 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. I think a lot of franchise would take that, given the circumstances that the Chargers had to go through this year. But obviously, He had some bad spurts where he had his rib injury. We just found out last week that looks like he had a labrum injury that he was dealing with the entire season, finally got uh, surgery for that. And even still, the stats that he put up for, for Justin Herberts, I know when we're comparing it to the last three years, is a step down. But even still under those circumstances, those are actually impressive stats. But I hinder this more on the offensive play calling. And I do have to hinder this a little bit more on, obviously, the fact that Justin Herbert did not have one of his top targets for a majority of the season. Mike Williams was in and out. Um, You were hindered a little bit by not having five wide receivers activated through certain parts of the week. So certain weapons, uh, as far as availability, were not there. So I think that all of these things really hindered his performance. But yes, you have to go into the aspects of, I think, coaching I think and and not necessarily Brandon Staley obviously when we have talked about a lot this season in terms of Joe Lombardi I think that there was a there was a vision that was coming into this year that they wanted to believe that they could make this a balanced offense where Justin Herbert wasn't going to be playing hero ball all the time and unfortunately that just didn't pan out because when they really needed to no pun intended unleash Justin Herbert and open up the offense a little bit more they still just felt like they stuck to that same game plan, just short ball, short ball, short ball. And yes, there were a lot of contributing factors as to why that was the case, why they still went forward with the, with that offensive game plan. But even still, I think that this was one of the reasons, as far as the biggest goes, for the reg- the so-called regression, if you want to call it that, for Justin Herbert this year. Again, stat-wise, still amazing. All circumstances considered that he still was able to put those numbers up. But I think when you have to look at it as far as just 
An underwhelming year in terms of overall performance goes by Justin Herbert. And if this is the lowest that we ever see from stat-wise from Justin Herbert, I'll take that any day of the week. But I think I think just from what we saw from a coaching perspective, more specifically the offensive coordinator, I think that that was one of the biggest uh, reasons to contribute, obviously and wide receiver injuries, but those were the two biggest reasons to contribute to the, let's just say, drop in stats for this season for Justin Herbert. So just to make sure I heard this correctly, you said B minus, B as in boy, minus. I did. Not taking anything away from Justin Herbert. There were just, there were so many things to consider on why I'm giving this great. Not to say that he performed badly because stat wise, I don't think that he did. You had, you were able to throw for under, just under 5,000 yards without having one single thousand yard receiver. That's incredible. In this particular offense, for what you were able to do, considering that you had a rib injury and just now figuring out that you had a labrum injury, is something to really commend him for. But I think that there were a lot of things that specifically held this offense back, and more specifically him in terms of his quarterback play, that were not necessarily his fault. All right, so Jake goes B-. minus. I'm sure we know where I'm going to go with this one. Uh, look, given what Justin Herbert had to kind of go up against and given the scenarios that he had to face, I'm giving Justin Herbert a minus now. Sure. Justin Herbert could have been better. And there were many ways that he could have been better. We talk about some of the end of game situations. We talk about uh, some of the mobility stuff. We talk about some of the deep shots that he hasn't taken. We talk about, you know, lots of things that he could do to improve, but given all of the outside circumstances and things that were outside of his control, i.e. coaching, i.e. injuries, i.e. situations that just you can't do anything about. Justin Herbert balled out. We're talking about a quarterback who was the second most passing yards in the NFL in a Joe Lombardi offense. Like, I genuinely think that's kind of hard to do. Now, could he have been better in the red zone? Absolutely. But I don't necessarily know if that's a Herbert issue or if that's a coaching scheme issue. Now we have Kellen Moore as offense coordinator. I think we'll see some things change. But as a quarterback, as kind of the wagon for this team, or the horse pulling the wagon on this team, Justin Herbert was great. Like, I, if I were to give him, like, a great, good, average, below average, he was great. Now, could he have been better? That's why I give him room for A or A+. plus. A- minus is what I'm giving Justin Herbert. Now, Jake, I think this is going to be an interesting one for both of us as we kind of go through the, the running back situation here. <laughs> now... And this is, I feel like, if you were to grade on a curve, this is kind of where things kind of get skewed into the middle. You know, look at the bell curve. And Austin Eckler, you know, leading the league in touchdowns, had almost 40 in two seasons. Great. But on the flip side, your running game was kind of non-existent for most of the NFL season. You know, you're looking at this. For rushing yards this past season, Austin Eckler had, I believe, 900 yards. Josh McKelly had 287. Sonny Michelle had 106. Isaiah Spiller just 41. I mean, hell, Justin Herbert was your third best running back at 147 yards. That's not good production. They got touchdowns. They, meaning Austin Eckler, got touchdowns. But when you're looking at the running back group, for me, Jake, as a running back group, they have to be better. And this is a tough one for me. I'm going C plus 
And the only reason I'm going C-plus is because of Austin Eckler out of the backfield and the touchdowns. Without those two things, and looking at the other folks on this roster, i.e. Joshua Kelly, Isaiah Spiller, Larry Roundtree, Sonny Michelle, they mostly did close to nothing. And this running game, whether it's yards per yard per carry, total yards, yards per game, yards after contact, yards before contact, all bad. So I'm giving a C-plus for this. What say you? So I gave it a C. And as you had mentioned, all those stats about Austin Eckler, I mean, he he basically carries the weight as to why this grade is, let's just say, as high as it is, as you mentioned. You can't argue those type of stats for what he did individually for himself. If you had Austin Eckler on your fantasy team right now, you're, you're loving life in terms of those stats over the last two years. They're very impressive. But the Chargers to be where they were to finish that low in the running game. And we saw bits and pieces of Joshua Kelly throughout this year that looked really good. Isaiah Spiller never really getting an opportunity to contribute when there was a lot of hype around him being a fourth round pick. I don't still, get it. still seemingly getting picked over Larry Roundtree on certain games where he was active. Sony Michelle, who had his spurts, you know, didn't didn't last too long with the team before he was ultimately released. Just as a whole, you were never able to get this run game going. And that's obviously going to be a big priority from the new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, coming into this. You have to balance, not necessarily 50-50, as Tom Telesco said. You're still going to be a majority passing team. But stats aside from Austin Eckler, you have to be better as a group. So you cannot be finishing as low as you did if you want to expect to not only make the playoffs, but make an ultimate run in the playoffs. You have to have a better running game than this. All right, Jake. So you gave it a C. I gave it a C plus. Let's go to the wide receiver one, which this one I think is going to take some discussion. We'll probably need to spend a little time on this one. Joshua Palmer, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. You can put in Michael Bandy, John Drake Carter. You can put in Jason Moore. You can put in a whole bunch of dudes that played wide receiver for this team, largely because of injuries. This was a hard one for me, Jake. You know, you look at it, you know, it kind of, it's, there's pros and cons to this, right? Like there was, I think they had how many guys? One, two, three, four, five. I think they had six guys that all had over 500 yards receiving, five of which were Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Jalen Everett, and DeAndre Carter. Like all of those guys. That's one, two, three, four, five, six guys, four of which were wide receivers, all over 500 yards receiving. Now, good. But because they were not able to be on the field together, because we didn't get to see Mike Williams and Keenan Allen play well, because we didn't get to see, I think, some of the potential of what this offense could look like, i.e. if there was more to it. And again, some of it is hampered by play calling. Like, sure. But I'm looking at the players specifically. Production-wise, this season, wide receiver, I think... I kind of went back and forth on this one. I initially was going to go B minus or so, but I gave it a C plus only because at times this was an issue. And whether that's because of the lack of some things on this wide receiver core because of injury or because of personnel or because of roster decisions, lots of things have to be improved. I think the challenge this Chargers team has this offseason specifically is bringing in offensive weapons that you can deploy on offense in different ways than they already have. Not just 
the you know the 50 50 80 20 balls not just kind of the quick third down short routes like we need someone who can burn we need somebody who can wiggle around and get through space in a hurry so i've given c plus again like it's a good receiving core but there's so much to be desired and it's very easily fixable in my opinion so c plus for me what for you yeah i i just want to tick above that i gave it a b minus and much to the same reasons that you had dan for your grade I'm along the same type of lines, but you know, remember last off season when we were going into the draft and everybody was saying like, Oh yeah, it's definitely going to be a speed receiver that the chargers have to pick up. And they never did it. You better believe that they're going to be prioritizing that they have to this off season. You have to do that. And considering how many games Keenan Allen missed, you lose Jalen Guyton at the beginning of the year. Mike Williams is in and out. And you know, shortly after Jalen Guyton goes down, you sign a handful of these guys, the John Hightowers, a few other handful of guys that never made it off the practice squad, never was elevated. And you had so many games where you only had four wide receivers active. So to your point, some of this was attributed to play calling, coaching, game planning, whatever you want to call it. But you saw what these wide receivers were with Justin Herbert in this offense when everybody was healthy. You saw how much of a difference it made to help Justin Herbert out when these guys were out there. But health was the biggest priority of it, obviously. You think that the Chargers wouldn't have missed a six foot, what, six foot five receiver out of Clemson when you were playing against Jacksonville just to put up one more touchdown in that uh. second half? I truly believe that they would have as well. So just overall, in terms of expectations goes, Considering what Justin Herbert had done over these first two seasons of his career, and there were even bigger expectations because the Chargers did not bring in that speed guy. You brought in DeAndre Carter to be your return man. That didn't end up panning out as, as well as you'd hoped. I really thought that the way that he was deployed in that Raiders game in week one after Keenan Allen went down, I said to myself, I wanted to see more of that. And we never ended up getting to see that. We had our kind of fan favorite as it relates to the wide receiver core with Michael Bandy stretching all the way back to training camp. And that didn't end up developing the way that we thought it was going to. So a lot of expectations fell flat, but most of it was due to injury and personnel decisions. Um, but overall, that's where I land as far as a B minus goes. So just a tick above your grade there, Dan. All right. So we're pretty similar so far. Uh, let's move over to tight end, which I think we're going to be differing in. Uh, just a hunch, uh, Jake. We went tight end. Okay, of course we got Gerald Everett off season, who I was very excited about. Trey McKinney, Donald Parham, all contributing, quote unquote, uh, for this team. If you kind of snap back, look at how this team did as a whole. Gerald Everett had a little over 500 yards. Again, has improved every season since he's been a tight end. 500 yards, 555 to be exact. Four touchdowns receiving. Uh, some drops that we saw, obviously. Um, you know, we saw some issues where Donald Parham, obviously because of injury, wasn't there, but he contributed 130 yards and touchdown. Trey McKitty had 10 receptions for 72 yards all season. Stone Smart, four receptions. But generally speaking, you know, Richard Rodgers had one reception for four yards. Ugh. That's kind of it. And I, I think... I gave this I gave this a C, and again I I'm going strictly on player specific. I think that 
Gerald Everett, I feel, did pretty good given what he was dealt with, and he wasn't really given as many opportunities as I would have liked. I don't think Donald Parham got as much opportunity as he could have, A, if healthy, B, if he had a different coordinator. You know, I just don't. I didn't see them utilizing him in the red zone nearly as much as I thought they should have. Um, there was some efficiency issues that were lacking on this tight end group. I loved what they did with Gerald Everett, with kind of the run after catch, yards after the catch, yards after the contact. Like that's what he does best. And I feel like they just didn't use that enough. You will see that. I promise you, you will see that next year. If when Gerald Everett is on this team, we'll see how draft goes. You never know. Um, Kellen Moore uses tight ends very well. I gave the tight end group overall a C. Again, I think there's more playmaking they can do. I'm not giving it fully blaming. I'm not blaming fully the players because there is some coaching and scheming issues here. But Jalen Everett did have some drops. Trey McKitty, you know, we, we talk about one of the biggest issues with this team is the run game. The run blocking with the tight end group has been not very good. And run run blocking in general has been bad, tight end group specifically. So I gave it a C, um, and I may have been generous. What say you? Let me preface this by saying I hate giving this grade. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but, but not because I feel that it's inaccurate, just because this may have been the... This may have been one of the more positions that we were excited to see with this talent group and with the likes of Gerald Everett and Donald Parham on this offense and what you were possibly going to be able to do, what we were waiting to see more of with Jared Cook and Donald Parham in this offense. We thought, okay, we're going to have that elevated here. And I thought in terms of expectations goes, this may have fallen the worst in terms of what you expected this tight end group to contribute to this offense. So I gave the tight end group a D. Um, and again, a lot of contributing factors to this, obviously from the standpoint of Donald Parham getting injured very, very early in training camp. Dan, we were both there when we saw him pull up and we saw him uh, get that hamstring injury that obviously hampered him for a good part of the year. Uh, Gerald Everett, you mentioned, is as far as stats goes, yes, is it, a, is it a career best for him? Yes, he was able to produce. Yes, there were still some inconsistencies. Um, Trey McKitty, we are still waiting to see what that third round pick was worth in selecting him and in terms of what he's going to bring to this offense, because we haven't seen it as a pass catcher. We have not seen it as a blocker either. And you would hope that this would be one of the things that Kellen Moore is going to be able to develop a little bit more and utilize a little bit more. And then your other tight ends, as far as stone smart, as you mentioned, Richard Rogers, just, there was nothing as far as big time contributing games from the tight ends that you saw throughout the entirety of the season. The pinnacle, obviously, was the Jacksonville game in the playoffs where Gerald Everett had over 100 yards. He was a great contributor in that game. But in the red zone where the Chargers struggled to put up touchdowns this season, you expected to see more of these two tight end sets, more of these aspects where you could uh, find these mismatches with guys this big. And yes, injuries played a part in it as far in terms of availability, but in terms of overall play calling, I definitely thought that the tight ends were a little bit overlooked as far as the game plan goes. I didn't feel like they were featured enough. So, yes, I know it may seem a little bit harsh as far as a letter grade goes, but in terms of what you would expect to see from now to next year, that definitely has to improve. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting too. Like we talked about how excited we were when they got Gerald Everett, and then kind of to fast forward to see what it ended up being. And again, there was a lot of good from Gerald Everett and crew, but just not enough. And I think it left us all wanting more. But some of that was them. Some of that was scheme. Again, we'll, we'll see how this goes moving forward. Uh, Jake, so next up is the big uglies on the offensive side. And this is a loaded question, loaded grade, lots to kind of go into this with because there's a lot that goes into, obviously, an offensive line performance. <sighs> this is a tough one. Um you know, first glance, you know, I'm thinking of all the heroics. I'm thinking of all like the Jamari Sawyer coming in. I'm thinking of, you know, Zion Johnson playing a rookie year. We got Corey Lindsley, you know, the the resiliency of the team. Like you know, all of that I think is important and I think it's great. But then you kind of start peeling back a little bit from the excitement. And this is hard. This is something that's usually I don't do very well. <laughs> but you start thinking about how bad run blocking was. Yes. Again, and you can tailor that to player or scheme. Again, it's kind of by hand in hand. But in short, run blocking wasn't good. And then you started seeing some leaks at times to the offensive line in pass protection, especially towards the end of the season. (laughs) Of course, if Rashawn Slater is there, this story looks different. We know that. But he wasn't. Jamari Sawyer was incredible for what he was able to do to make it Essentially, almost a non-story that Rashawn Slater wasn't there. Trey Pipkins, we saw what he did this year. Like, remarkable, the turnaround year over year. Trey Pipkins wasn't always out there. And when Trey Pipkins wasn't there, story looked different. And it was really hard to watch at times. You saw Matt Filer, in my opinion, regress at times a bit this season. Initially, my thought was going like, all right, I'm going to give him like a B minus. Like they did pretty good. All things considered, no, I'm I'm giving him a C. And I say that because knowing how important the offensive line is to not only Justin Herbert and not only to Brandon Staley, but to an offense's efficiency. The offensive line was one of the reasons why they could not keep the ball on offense. That's why we kept punting over and over and over again. We could not get anything the ground. So I go see. I think this is a big area and opportunity. I see this being one of the biggest areas of possible growth year over year because of an A health B Kellen Moore offense. Getting Rashawn Slater back will be huge. Having Kellen Moore with some of these different run schemes, wide zone gap schemes, I think is going to be paying very large dividends for the offensive line. I say C. Jake, what say you? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see as far as you mentioned it. It's this is a position of growth moving forward year by year. You would hope so. And it could look completely different by the time that we get to the beginning of next season with Trey Pipkin's contract situation. How is Jamari Sawyer going to be inserted into this offensive line more possibly? We'll see. But that was my first thought as well. Same as you, Dan. The heroics of Jamari Sawyer to step in after Rashawn Slater goes down. It, it really cannot be understated how much he contributed as a six-round rookie. And to step into someone's shoes of that stature, you know you're not going to be able to fill it, but you can try to come as close as you can. And the way that it started, it, it looked good. And then, of course, you know, you did have some inconsistencies that got later on in the year. 
Matt Filer, as you mentioned, I think is a better player when Rashawn Slater is in that lineup. Him being between one of the best left tackles and one of the best centers in the league makes his play better. So at times, his play regressed, and he became inconsistent. Corey Lindsley, as tough and as good, as important as he is, health played a part in his availability this year. Zion Zion Johnson was basically your one constant throughout this entire offensive line. And that's just really, really strange to say. And then Trey Pimpkins, Trey Pimpkins, as you said, when he was healthy, you saw the improvement that he had obviously put in the work, put in the time. When healthy. Yes, when healthy. But that wasn't always the case. Dan, I, I always go back to the Kansas City game. When Corey Lindsley and Trey Pipkins went down in that game, this offensive line was an absolute shambles. And that was still even with a Rashawn Slater in this line. Mm-hmm. The depth behind it, the guys who were supposed to step up, the Will Claps, the Brendan Hymases, the Foster Sorrells. We know the Storm Norton story and how that ends up playing out. But there's definitely going to have to be some reinvestment in terms of depth goes to this offensive line. Maybe not first round priority because I think you've done a good job at doing that over these last two years, but you are going to have to reload it in some form or fashion, but overall how you played and the biggest thing, Dan, that you mentioned run blocking. I mean, (laughs) you could have Derek Henry back behind this line and I don't really think it would matter given the contributions in the run game that this offensive line was able to put out there, unfortunately. So That was part of the reason of why the running game was at the bottom tier of the league. So all that considered, pass blocking, run blocking, individual performances, I ended up giving it a C+. All right, so that rounds out the offense. So again, let's kind of recap real fast. So for offense, I have the quarterback as an A, running back C+, wide receiver C+, tight end a C, and offensive line a C. Jake has the quarterback as a B-, running back C+, Wide receiver B minus, tight end as a D, and the O line as a C plus. That's the offense, and it's kind of I think about that, Jake, and it's kind of weird. A lot more yellows and reds when you look at color schemes than I was expecting going into the year, uh, which is unfortunate. And there's many reasons for it. We've talked about it at nauseum, but uh, I have a feeling we're going to see some <laughs> of those same color differences here when we get to the defensive side. All right, so uh, let's move on to the defense. Jake, let's start talking about the defensive line. Again, lots of storylines here to kind of put into perspective. Again, Joey Bosa gone. You saw Joey Bosa come back. Khalil Mack had to kind of weather the storm. You saw Sebastian Joseph Day and kind of everybody else get hurt. (laughs) And then you saw kind of everyone else have to come up. Jerry Tillery used to be a story, not on the team anymore. Brandon Fajoko comes up. Christian Covington, Austin Johnson, so many guys, some folks on the practice squads from free agents. It was all over the place. Uh, run defense wasn't great at times. Sometimes the last part of the season, it was good. Uh, Jake, I gave the defensive line as a whole. Again, pass rush and uh, stopping the run. I'm giving them a C on the whole. Again, and if it wasn't for Khalil Mack, it would probably have been like a D. D minus. But Khalil Mack by himself kind of helped carry the load enough. Uh, you saw what they did the first two weeks with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack healthy. Without one of them, it just, there was no pressure on the quarterbacks aside from Kyle Van Noy and sometimes Morgan Fox the last month or so. Uh, Jake, I gave C. What say you? Yeah, I'm right below you, Dan. I gave it a C minus. 
And I went into a lot of thinking on that as well, just in terms of, you know, who were some of the guys that really stepped up to contribute to this defensive line? For thinking about Kyle Van Noy late in the season, he really did a good job of stepping up late in the year. The Morgan Foxes of the world, when he really needed to, when you essentially lost four interior defensive linemen over a two-week span, three by injury, and one being Jerry Tillery and his release from the team. Um, obviously, with Joey Bosa's injury, you were expecting a little bit more from Chris Rumpf coming into this year. But Dan, I, do you remember when we had our position grades that we were saying if these if position grades were movies, what would you what would you give them? And we, and since we're lumping the edge into this whole defensive line conversation, I said that the edge position was essentially relatable to the movie Risky Business because it was risky keeping technically only three edge rushers because you use Kyle Van Noy, technically you were still labeling him as a linebacker and he was kind of going to be your emergency edge rusher in that particular situation. Your depth was tested there when Joey Bosa went down. Virtually nobody on the other side of Khalil Mack could really generate any type of pressure. Interior defensive linemen, Everybody was stoked to hear the names Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson when the Chargers went out and were aggressive in free agency and got him. But you can't get it around those defensive yards in rushing that you are allowing opposing running teams. You just can't get away from that. So in terms of expectations goes, you felt that you were going to perform better in that circumstance given who you had on the line. Dan, I don't know why Brennan Fajoko. I will probably never know why he was not elevated to never the active will. roster sooner because when he came in, he was at least able to, I don't want to say stop, but soften the blow that was taking place as it relates to that running game. He has gotten much better in his uh, pass rush capability. I'm so excited for him and his future on what he's going to bring to this interior defensive line. So there were a lot of guys that were not the big names that, ended up really stepping up and which was great toward the end of the year. But overall, in terms of expectations goes and what you ultimately saw the finished product of, you expect a lot more from this. So I gave it a C minus. Yeah, this is a group that I think we're going to see some concerted effort in the draft and free agency, Uh, especially I wouldn't say top end, but possibly top end, maybe an edge. You know, we, we saw, we thought, you know, Chris Rump took a step forward. You know, at times he was doing stuff, but then at times he was kind of non-existent, um, kind of got lost in the play a little bit. They they need more consistency there, and again, some of it, a lot, a lot of it was because of injuries. Like you can't discount that, but still, like even when guys were in, they were giving up chunk plays. There was what like four or five weeks in a row that the Chargers were giving up like forty yard run plays. Like it was, it was bad. It was bad. Now again, end of the season, they flipped things around. Like they they brought things back down to earth a bit. I think they ended up as like twentieth in defense total. Uh, but they have to be more consistent. And this team was like a roller coaster on defense. You go from like one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And then for a month there, you're like the best defense in the NFL statistically. Like there's got to be some sort of scale that kind of gets tipped somewhere in the middle. So Jake, let's move on to, I'll let you go first this time. Linebackers, let's say you. So it's, it's, it's a lot like how I graded the running game. Um, and even though I was lower on the running game, it still contributed to one person as far as why the grade is as high as it is. And so I gave the linebacking group a B minus, but obviously a bulk of this grade is solely contributed to Drew Tranquil uh, based on the all world season that he had. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is another person on this defense that you just can't help but give enough credit to as far as how he has performed, not just this past year, but the years, the year before that. I thought what Coach Matt Wilhoyt did with this linebacking group and how he had helped develop him. We saw what he did with Kaiser White before his departure. I thought what he has brought to the table with Drew Tranquil and how he has developed him into the season that he had this past year just cannot be understated. Um, it, it can't be understated enough. We expected that we were going to see a little bit more from Kenneth Murray, given the fact that he was getting elevated into having that starting spot now. Yes, you could you you could say that Kyle Vanoy was kind of part of that linebacking group, but he had to end up being utilized more on the edge early. I think that the original game plan for him was that he was going to be more of a hybrid and you had to end up using him more at the edge position. So, you had to dabble there uh, you know in and out as far as that goes. And then um I don't know why I'm forgetting Dan uh tell me out here. Uh Troy Reader. Troy Reader was Mainly a guy for depth in terms of and ended up contributing from a special teams perspective, but there still wasn't really much happening in terms of the middle of the field goals when we're talking about linebacker. Um, so overall, I thought that this group, you know, again, a bulk of the grade. Drew Tranquil brings this grade up a lot more than it probably should be, uh, but I give it a B minus. A lot more to be expected of this group outside of Drew Tranquil as we head into next season, no doubt about it. One of the rare times that Jake Hefner is more generous than me with his praise. Uh, Jake, I gave this one a solid C. So, and so not by not by much. <laughs> not by much. Not by, not by much. much. But you look at the linebackers on this team again. Nick Neiman, Neiman, Abamiga, yep. Troy Reader, Kenneth Murray, Drew Tranquil. Thank you. Nick Neiman. Amen and Troy Reader had a combined 20 tackles. 20. That's three linebackers. Like, literally, Drew Tranquil had seven times that by himself. <laughs> 146 tackles for Drew Tranquil. Eight quarterback hits, five sacks, four passes defense, one forced fumble. Played in 16 of 17 games, started, or sorry, started in 16 of the 17 games. Was all over the place. Drew Tranquil was a beast. You said it. But it was Drew Tranquil, and then like way down the list was everyone else. He had more than double, or roughly double the tackles that Kenneth Murray had. I'm telling Kenneth you, Drew, Drew Tranquil's performance alone bumped this up probably a whole letter grade if it wasn't for that performance for me. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna give the, I gave them a C. Some of it was boosted because Troy Reader got to play special teams, and he's technically a linebacker playing special teams, so I'll give him that a little bit. Uh, and I know some of this is also for lack of uh, utilization, like the way that Brandon Staley's scheme is set up. You don't have linebackers in there doing as much as you do DBs. I get that, but the difference, the stark contrast between. Drew Tranquil and Kenneth Murray. And this was on an up year for Kenneth Murray. That's wild like, to say. It's wild to say. Now, uh, Drew Tranquil is is on the list of like, worse. is Drew Tranquil going to be going to stay? Like I, we said at the beginning of the season, Dan, he was one of the six players yes. that we listed that had to ha come in and make an impact this year. Now they let go of Nuosu. Adrian Phillips was gone. They let go of Kaiser White. 
and now Drew Tranquil. Well, there, there is, there's just no way looking at this linebacking crew that you could possibly, as an organization, say, we can't let this man walk out that door. Now, it, it's, I will say, like, to give the team some credit in a different perspective, like, it takes two to tango. Like, Nuosu got the bag in Seattle. Kaiser White went home to Philly. So, like, there's some there's some ways you can think, like, they have to say yes, too. And sure, could the Chargers have blown the doors off and given them a huge amount of money? Sure. But, like, those California taxes suck. And there are some kind of homegrown reasons why some of these decisions are made that are outside of the Chargers' control. But still, huge decision. And because of how much of kind of a heart and soul guy Drew Tranquil is, I just I have a hard time imagining this defense without him. And that's, exactly. I don't know if that's just like the, the emotions in me, but that's just kind of how I feel. No, there's also some logic behind there as well, Dan. <laughs> I just, I, this isn't a Kaiser White type of situation where you could say, oh, well, we still have Drew Tranquil. You don't sign Drew Tranquil. You and me are out there. Exactly. Who are, who that's not are, good. Who, have, who has proven that they can step up in this role and contribute consistently? Has to be the number one priority from a free agent standpoint for the Chargers to bring Drew Tranquil back, in my opinion. Now, the fun time, Jake. Fun time. We get to talk about DBs in the secondary, which I would argue is one of the highlights, the bright spots of this entire team, especially on defense. I think it is the bright spot on defense. The way that this secondary kind of stood up to the task, all things considered, J.C. Jackson goes out. Right after he comes back from injury, he comes. He was injured in training camp. Comes back, I think, is week two or week three. Horrific injury, long road recovery. He's currently recovering on the bicycle. Mike Davis, given the offseason storylines you heard around him, Asante Samuel Jr. I mean, these guys balled out. Asante Samuel Jr. was incredible. Mike Davis was CB one on this team, and considering he was CB four at some point, is saying something. Bryce Callahan played tremendously and stayed healthy for the better part of the entire year, which we have not seen in quite some time. We saw contributions from Jazeer Taylor that you have not seen in quite some time, both as a corner as well as on special teams. The way that Mike Davis and Asante Samuel Jr., kind of those two collectively, made this group look, and then Bryce Callahan added as a slot player, for them to do what they did, Jake, without J.C. Jackson that they were banking on, who they just paid a boatload of money to for this defense to kind of rally. And for that to be arguably the strength of this team, you can't understate, you can't overstate that. Like, I think there's a testament to kind of Brandon Staley in this. There's a coaching staff, the DBs group that haven't brought in. Obviously they're bringing up these guys. Jazeer Taylor looks like he's probably going to be the man in the wing waiting after Bryce Callahan, because I can't see him not getting paid more somewhere else. This DB group balled out, and it was fun to see. I mean, hell, you saw Asante Samuel Jr. get three interceptions in a and a half in a playoff game. If they would have won that game, that would have been like one of the best performances you'll ever see, and, it would, and it's just not getting talked about enough because the team lost. Quarterbacks balled out. I gave them a solid, solid B+. You could probably argue it could be higher, but I gave B+. They were pretty damn good. Yeah, I gave him a B, Dan. Uh, 
lot of things that you touched on there that are worth mentioning. Obviously, JC Jackson coming in, we had so many conversations about how he was going to reshape this defense with the likes of Asante Samuel Jr., with the likes of Bryce Callahan. Hell, we were talking about Mike Davis is like, well, what do you do with him? He's essentially going to be your CB4 in this situation, right? And you're still paying a lot of money to him. There were conversations in the offseason, Dan, about Mike Williams being a cap sacrifice. I mean, after that happened to JC Jackson, and it was and it was such a shame because that was right back when the Chargers from a defense it Mike decided Davis. to start playing Mike Davis, no, no, no. not Mike Williams. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Apologies. Um, for, from the JC Jackson standpoint, it was so unfortunate for where his injury took place because you saw that from the get-go from him playing this season when he was in there that he wasn't playing in the position that he was used to in New England. And as soon as they went back to playing more of a man coverage system, has his knee injury, he's gone for the year. Mike Davis has to step up and ho-hum, look out. He just so happens to end the season with 15 passes defended, which was good enough for six in the league. I mean, that's wild. That's a huge thing to step in for given just as a player. You know that's to say that guy was signed. He's going to be the starter. So what do I have to do? This is how you respond as a player. When your name gets called, when your number gets called, these are the type of performances that you go out and do. Asante Samuel Jr., I just love watching this kid play. I really do. Uh, I was so happy again when the Chargers got him in the same draft as Rashawn Slater, and he has just continued to get better and better each year. Bryce Callahan, I thought, was a huge catalyst as a slot defender uh, and what he added to this team. And you may be right, Dan. I would love to see Bryce Callahan back, but I think that just given contract situations and the possible early progression that you saw in Jasir Taylor, that may be your slot corner moving forward. So risky, but yeah. Yes. Is it risky? 100%. But the Chargers may choose to roll the dice that way. But as a whole, cornerbacks, I felt that they performed admirably given the situation. And I thought a lot of guys uh, stepped up when they had to. So uh, they definitely deserve a lot of credit in this. So I gave them a B. So B plus for me, B for Jake Hefner. All right, Jake, let's get to the safeties led by a one Durbin James. And then afterwards, <laughs> Nazir Adderley, Alohi Gilman. Saw a lot of guys. Jake, what say you? How did they do? You know, I was jumping back and forth with this one. It probably, it may have could have gone a, a tick higher. And again, much like the Austin Eckler situation, much like the Drew Tranquil situation, a lot of this grade weight, so to speak, resides with one person, and that is Derwin James. Um, <laughs> I literally was fluctuating between a B- and a C plus. I ended up going with a C plus because there were too many times that you saw Nasir Adderley just unfortunately not make the plays that you would have expected him to play to make. The investment in JT Woods, what is that going to turn into? Unfortunately, we didn't end up getting a chance to see much of it this year. Uh, there were a lot of expectations from Mark Webb hitting in, heading into this season. We never Mark got Webb to who? see <laughs> exactly. We never got a chance to see how that was going to play out. Alohi Gilman, another guy you talk about just seizing the moment and seizing the opportunity when he had to in that Miami game. He wrote it the rest of the way throughout the season in terms of making plays. 
causing turnovers. Being the first guy thrown to in that game, they decided to test Aloe Gilman. And what does he do? He just stays down the field with Tyreek Hill. And no big deal. Defense, no big uh-huh. deal. What? What? Who would have expected to see something like that? So I thought how he came on and he contributed, and especially just from kind of being almost a forgotten guy in this safety group. When you talk about guys, the likes of Nasir Adderley and Derwin James and what we had saw from Mark Webb last year, to have someone like that step up when they really, really needed to. And we're again, we're talking about healthy starts, not necessarily for the fact that Nasir Adderley was injured. There was a defensive preference that they had to end up making a change in order to put Alohi Gilman as the starter. So keep that in mind. He won so, that role. Yeah, he did. He did. Which unfortunately, I think, has put the last piece of writing on the wall for Nasir Adderley's tenure yeah, with this team. Right. Unfortunately, as much as I would like to say I'm as I'm wrong on that, uh, I think that is the future situation for him. But. Ultimately, again, a lot of grade weight goes into this with Derwin James. Alohi Gilman stepped up, but you really felt like given the personnel of what you had last year, the expectations for Nasir Adderley, you felt like you could have had more. The That Miami effort that you saw from the safety group and corner, but just like the secondary as a whole, I don't remember the last time I've seen one that good by a team ever. Like they, they had Miami's offense, Miami's offense, looking like a JV squad. Like, they could do nothing. Like, remember, the only things they got were on, like, a fluke Tyreek Hill fumble recovery, which I believe was actually, was that stripped by Alohi Gilman? I think it was. And then you had a fluke, Mike Davis falls, Tyreek Hill goes out for the touchdown on, like, a whatever 50-yard pass. Otherwise, I got three points. Like, that defense was insane that game. That was one of the highlights of my entire season was watching that one. All right, Jake. Let's get to the last one before we go over to the fo- before we go to the total on the report cards. Our good friends over with the special teams: J.K. Scott, Dick of the kicker, DeAndre Carter, Dustin Hopkins. I mean, this went down for a while. Bertolette, I believe, was playing for a hot minute. We saw special teams win special teams player of the week like three weeks this season, which is unheard of. DeAndre Carter, I think, fortified that. Return game, at least on punt return for sure. Kick return, different story. Jake, I gave this one... This was probably the bright spot of the entire team. And again, I, I highlight we highlight these guys in terms of like the, the main ones. But you look at punt coverage. You look at kick coverage. You look at being able to <laughs> like allow your punter to kick it. It's important. You look at the success... Of the kicking crew, Dicker was incredible. You look at Dean Leonard, Jazir Taylor as the gunners. Like, the coverage unit was one of the strengths of this Chargers team, and that has been so long, (laughs) a distant memory, until this year. You know, everyone talks about complimentary football, and for years, special teams has been kind of not complimentary. And I'm being kind. Uh, this year, very different story. Fascinating what happened with Dustin Hopkins, that like heroic Herculean performance he had on one leg. Then Dicker. Somebody give him a leg. Somebody give him a comes leg. in ho-hum and just like cool just out of the pillow. R.I.P. Stuart Scott and just balls out. Does the, and then obviously afterwards, just like, all right, what do you want to do for dinner? I don't know. This is like, he like, didn't even care. It was incredible. So special teams for me, highlight of the season. 
other than the fun of Justin Herbert. So I gave this one an A- minus for special teams. This group was such a breath of fresh air for me, uh, and I hope that this can continue. A sign of good things to go. And Ryan Ficken, shout out. Take a bow. My goodness. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, they were studs. Jake, what about you? It, it, it all starts with Ryan Ficken to me. I mean, this this is an incredible turnaround from what you saw this Chargers special teams, where, what it looked like a year ago. Do you think that Andre Roberts would have liked to have run through some of these holes that the Chargers were creating from a special <laughs> team standpoint? Do you think that he would have liked to have been a part of that? I think so. But just in terms of coverage, holy crap, Dan. Remember when we literally had to just sit back and just be like, oh, God, how many yards are they going to get on this one? What he was able to do from a coverage standpoint. Or even if they could get it off. <laughs> true. Also true. <laughs> uh, what Jasir Taylor meant from a special teams standpoint. I mean, talk about just genius move. Started in Denver. Just literally just takes the defender and knocks him right back into the kicker. I forgot about Char- that. Chargers get the ball and ultimately end up winning the game. Jasir Taylor had a couple of different con- contributions this year as it relates to special teams that were highlight plays. Dean Leonard also played a big part in when it came to special teams contributions. But yes, Dan, the revolving door where the Chargers felt like they had some stability at the kicker situation, when Dustin Hopkins goes down, you're like, oh my God. Here we go. Here comes two years ago when the Chargers just couldn't find someone to kick something through the uprights to save their life. And in comes Dicker the kicker. Cameron Dicker, as you said, Dan, just ho-hum, regular season, what? He only missed, not including the playoff game, but only missed one field goal. For someone that young in those situations coming in to do that, I mean, that's something special. That's That kid has, maybe doesn't have all the ice in the veins, but he, you know, someone is hooking an air conditioning system up to him <laughs> if that's how he's acting right now. J.K. Scott, Dan, you said it early in training camp, watching his hang time fly. It's not exactly Mike Cyphers-esque, but in terms of him as an overall weapon, I think moving forward from a special team standpoint could be a great contribution to this team. But yeah, a special team's turnaround like this to see where it was a year ago, to see where it shifted now, you can't give enough credit to Ryan Fitkin and the job that he did. Yeah, I mean, the moonshots that J.K. Scott was given at training camp and throughout the season at times was impressive to watch. It's been fun. Uh, that's been a that's been a, a very, very bright spot. And I think that's something that can the coaching staff can tip their cap to as one of the huge successes of the season. So position grades on defense. Defensive line, Jake has a C-. minus. I've got a C. Linebacker, Jake's got a B-. minus. I've got a C. Corners, we've each got Bs. i got a B+. Plus. Safeties. Jake's got a C plus. I've got B minus and special teams. Both of us gave A's. I gave a minus. Uh, Jake, I guess maybe the the question I have for you, you know, I was kind of look at this as a whole. You know, it's funny going into the season. I would have expected a lot more green. I would have expected a lot more green in the running back spot, the wide receiver spot, surely. Offensive line spot, definitely. Defensive line spot, definitely. And, you know, some of this is out of their control. Some of this is caused due to injury. Some of it is for play calling. Some of it is scheme. But some of it is talent. And some of it is players just not executing. I think that was one of the biggest kind of takeaways I had was 
unfortunately, there was some underperformance that we were not expecting, all things considered. Again, takeaway excuses, just looking at the final stats. And it, it's hard to argue otherwise. Did they play admirably? Did they play resiliently? Did they still win 10 games regardless? Sure. And I give them credit. I give the coaching staff credit. Like the fact that they won 10 games, given all these yellows that we're seeing, I think is a testament to the team um, and the resilience. I think the execution is what needs to get better, both from a player standpoint and a coaching standpoint. Um, what about you? What are kind of your final thoughts as you kind of look at this as a whole? Yeah, this was one of the bigger years that the Chargers had to deal with the infamous injury bug that has haunted them for the better part of a decade. 15 players missed at least four games this year, which is just, it's, it's wild. But to your point, Dan, that forced certain guys to have to step up, and a good handful of them did. As we mentioned, the Jasir Taylors of the world. We mentioned the... Um, the Morgan Foxes of the world when they were forced more into a starting rotation, the Brennan Fajokos of the world when they were forced into more of a starting position, Michael Davis under the circumstances. So there was a lot of guys that were forced to step up. Not all of them ended up you know, getting the type of contributions that you want, but a good majority did. So yes, from a testament in terms of facing adversity from a player and a coaching standpoint, I think that they hit that. But in terms of, I think overall expectations to, and this maybe goes more just from a coaching standpoint, Dan, because obviously injuries can, you know, you can only take it so far. You have to learn to figure it out. The good coaches are able to adapt and figure out and still have some semblance of good production, both on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball. So I think that that is going to be a strength that you're going to see moving forward. Brandon Staley, I think, is going to have to be more adaptable, can't just stick straight with the game plan. Again, I know that injuries are a factor in this. I think that Kellen Moore is going to come in to majorly contribute to this in terms of an offensive side of the ball. If Brandon Staley is sticking to calling the defensive plays, I have more confidence that Kellen Moore and what he is going to be able to do when he really is kind of going to have carte blanche essentially just like do whatever you want to do you know let's let's bring justin herbert back to what we saw from him two years ago so there's going to be as high as the expectations were dan going into this season and to the chargers credit they did part of what their goal was they made the playoffs for the first time since 2018 but given your coaching situation given your quarterback is coming to that time where you need to think about giving him a long-term extension and certain other players that you have on this team, the expectations are going to be even higher, especially with how the Chargers went out in the playoffs. So, um, you know, a lot of stuff to improve on, some things to look positively to as we head into this offseason. But now it comes to the real nitty-gritty on, okay, how are you going to build yourself and get yourself ready to be better and expect better and perform better next year. And that's what we get to talk about starting on our next episode. Because next episode, Jake, there's a lot of things going on this week. Senior Bowl, East-West Shrine. we got a lot to talk about. Some key takeaways. Jake's doing the happy dance over there with the shoulder shrugs. Uh, Jake Hefner. I'm Dan Wolkenstein. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Chargers Unleashed. This is a fun one. I hope you guys enjoyed the grades let us know what you think give us a like and subscribe give us your comments let me know what you would do differently than us 
Uh, we will talk to you next week as we do all things recap, Senior Bowl, East-West Shrine, draft possibilities for the Chargers. We've got some dudes. Some may be higher than others. Some might be too high. We'll discuss that on the next Chargers Unleashed.